I'm really honored and joyful. And if I'm crying, it's not because I'm sad, but I'm happy to be here with you today. And I think the last time that I heard Spirit of Life here was when I was ordained. And this is, this is particularly, I think, meaningful to me because I just, as um, Reverend Frank mentioned, received the Public Voice, it was uh, the Peter Gomes Award on Public Voice at the Divinity School. And what I know in every part of my essence is that it was really here in this congregation that I came into my public voice. It was here that I preached my very first sermon, and it was here through the support and the love of the community that I grew not only in a spirit of love and life, but also in the confidence that I could speak and come together, walk together in a community to give my message, to give our message to the world. So today, we're talking about transformation inside and out. And I'd like to start with something that I discussed and talked about over 20 years ago, first here in Haverhill, which is that I had started myself as a lawyer in the United States as a public defender. I then moved to Cambodia in 1994. I lived in Cambodia from 94 to 97. And at that point, I recognized the fact that um, there are many people in the world who are arrested and accused of a crime. And while the laws are there on the books for many, many people that say you have a right to a lawyer and you have a right not to be tortured, in fact, for many people, and it's always the poorest of the poor in many of these countries, if the police pick you up and you don't have a lawyer, they will usually start breaking your fingers or doing something immediately because unfortunately, torture is the cheapest, is the cheapest form of investigation. And at the same time, what I recognize is that because the laws were on the books, there was actually something that we could do about it. We could actually work together as a world community to give people a lawyer early on and to give them the, the shelter and protection of the law. So it was here many years ago that I preached and I shared with everyone about this little boy named Vishna. And Vishna was a four-year-old boy that I met in Cambodia. And he was, um, he was actually, he was born in the prison because his mother had committed a crime. And because he was born in the prison, as many of us know, when you're still a baby, fortunately for you, you're small enough to slip in and out of the bars, right? There's other bars. But by the time I knew Vishna, he was getting bigger, so he was about that high, and his head was growing bigger. Um, so his body could very easily slip through, and he would go up to the first bar, the second bar, and then the third bar, and he would, he would um, turn his body to the side, slip through, and then very slowly move his head so he could come down, the third, the second, and the first. And each and every time he would come and he would grab my finger, like usually my pinky, because he wanted to, um, he wanted to go, and greet and say hello and bring hope to all of the prisoners who were in jail because he said, oh, they have very sad lives. And the reality of it is that um, 
he never made it to all 156 prisoners, but that was his goal. And usually I would lift him up and he would either put his fingers through the top bars or in many of the dark cells, we, he was able to like scratch through the dirt and he would just put his finger through. And for many of the, many of the prisoners, they always said, oh, I wait for Vishnu. I wait for him and I look forward to him coming because he is my greatest sunshine. And what I saw and recognized that was that here was the boy with very little power. He was a four-year-old boy at the time who was born into a prison with very little material, anything, food or clothing or anything, and some would say with very little power. And yet at the same time, he must have in his head thought, which is one of our poems in the Unitarian Universalist Hymnal by Edward Hale, I am one and I am only one, but I am one and I can do something. So I will do the one thing that I can do. And as I shared my story here and with other Divinity School students, many people said, hey, maybe we can all do something. And maybe we could all do the one thing that we can do to help so many of these prisoners who are being tortured. And with that, um, I was on my way to being ordained as a Unitarian Universalist minister. And in fact, I was ordained right here. And I thought I would delay it for a very short period of time while I founded International Bridges of Justice. Short time is already 18 years. Because I thought I would delay it for a few years and that somebody else would take over International Bridges of Justice, but that hasn't quite happened yet. And, and really, the mission of the organization is to end torture as an investigative tool in developing countries by giving people a lawyer early on in police stations and in courtrooms. And the reason that it's called Bridges to Justice is because we're looking at how we can bridge justice everywhere um, through, through people doing the one thing they can do. And for us, this has been in country after country, um, lawyers who have come together, the community that's come together, judges and prosecutors. And I'm, I'm happy to say that despite the fact that it has definitely not been an easy, in any way, easy road, that today there are defenders and justice makers in more than 40 countries who are working really actively and seeing, uh, seeing a lot of, of progress in wonderful ways. What I thought I would do today is share some of the great wisdom of some of the people that I've met and some of the defenders on transformation. They've been working on transformation on the outside. And what I can understand, too, is that none of this transformation on the outside is possible without their own transformation on the inside and the way that they've seen the world and the way that they've been able to keep on, keep on. And then if, I have, if we have any time, I'll give you, well, I don't have necessarily the wisdom, but I'll give you some of my own thoughts <laughs> on the transformation. A couple of the people who I thought about are, one, some of the lawyers that I've met and some of the people that I've met from Myanmar. And as I was talking to one of the lawyers, who, who now is doing okay, um, but himself was imprisoned and also under very, very um, stressful circumstances, he was doing okay because now it's a new government and things are progressing. And I said to him, though, you know, how, how, tell me, tell me, because I get so stressed about things sometimes, and I don't go through anything of what you go through, but how do you, how do you keep going? 
how have you survived during these times? And I remember that he looked at me and um, he says, ah, you know, I know what you're stressed about. He said, you're stressed about finances. You're stressed about money because you think we need to keep having some finances to keep these programs going. And I said, yes, that's actually true. And I remember he looked at me and he, he laughed. Oh, I'm going to make a donation today too, by the way, because I was also very moved. And I thought, oh, well, I don't have my purse and my wallet here, but we got to keep on. But as he, as he was talking, he said, you know, this is what you have to remember. And I said, what? And he said, you know, today we have money. Money, we have money, happy. And he said, but also, no money, happy. <laughs> and I thought that was, that was amazing. I mean, that sounds very simple, but it, it really helped me and has helped me because our organization itself has gone up and down. We've had strong times and we've been in financial crisis. And when we've been in financial crisis, I've remembered what he said by money happy, no money happy. He said, just, you know, keep on, keep on. So I spoke with him, and shortly after, I met with another man who was an artist. And I actually bought a piece of his art, which is hanging in my house. It's just this little piece here. It's made of trash from the prison. And it's called, um, it's called Goodnight Moon. And he says, oh, you know, I think, so I'm getting great advice and wisdom from everybody. He says, I think that you have to remember about Goodnight Moon. And I said, what is Goodnight Moon? And he said, you know, I made this. And he made it, he had taken trash from many places in the prison and put it together. And, but now he was out after 12 years. He said, you know, I'm very lucky. Because I also said to him, how did you survive those 12 years in prison? And he said, you know, I'm very, very lucky because literally six months before I was picked up, when I was in a tea house, I had started to meditate. I had started a practice of meditation. And so they picked me up, and it was not easy. It wasn't easy for those 12 years. And I made it through. The interesting thing, though, he said, is that when I was in prison, Every day, I longed to see the moon. I said some days, this must be when the moon is out. I longed to see the moon, but I couldn't see it because I was in prison. And he said, it was very difficult for me, and yet one day I got out of prison. And he said, and the most surprising thing to me, though, is I got out of prison, and I was so excited to see the moon. But I looked around, and I saw all these people who had the moon, but they were not excited to see the moon. And so he made Goodnight Moon as a gift to the world to say, don't forget to say Goodnight Moon. <laughs> and this will be a source of gratitude and blessing for you as you just walk in the mindfulness that there is so much that we have every day that we can be grateful for and that we can move forward with. The next person that I want to tell you about is somebody that I met in Burundi. And he also works for our organization. Burundi was a very, as, as many of you know, has also gone through many difficult times. And I was speaking with a number of the lawyers, and there was a point where I said to the lawyers, you know, you're going to, these lawyers are saving people every day from being tortured. 
and getting people out of prison who shouldn't be there. And there came a point where, because of a financial crisis, I sat down with a one, one woman, Aline, and I said, Aline, you know, your salary has gone from 1,000 to 800 to 500. You have to find something else, even though we would love for you to keep on. And I remember she took my hand and she looked at me and she said, Karen, I don't think you understand this, but our commitment with International Bridges Justice and this movement is greater than the budget. So we are going to keep on, keep on, keep on. And they just kept on. And it was amazing to me, but they just found different ways of resourcefulness. And we see this oftentimes with people who are just committed, will just find ways of doing it, will just find ways of keeping on. And two things. One is when I was back in Burundi just last year, I remember that she and another, the head of the organization, took me to meet a man. And they said, oh, you have to meet Thierry. And I said, OK. But I was wondering, why why Thierry? There's so many people. Why Thierry? And when I met Thierry, I shook his hand. And I said, hi, Thierry. Thierry, what do you do here? Because I knew he was somebody very important. And then he looked at me, and he said, I'm the security guard. And what I understood at that moment is that the reason why all of the lawyers wanted me to meet him is they said, you know what? It's because of Thierry that we were able to stay open. Because even with all of us lawyers volunteering, we would never have felt the safety and security if he also hadn't said, I'm going to do this. And I looked at Thierry, and he said almost the same thing that Vishnu said 30 years ago. He said, you know, I'm just one, and I really can't do everything. But I knew that as a security guard, I could keep this thing open. And so many of the times I realize over and over again that, you know, we just all have our special gifts, and they're not all the same. Some are, some are good, some are good, they're different. And as we embrace our special gifts, and in the hymn, I think this was at one more step, that we just take one more step, that we embrace our gift, we take one more step, and as Aline says, we're just going to keep on, keep on, keep on. And as she said that, we did actually eventually take so many cases with her keeping on, keeping on. And it's Sunday morning, I'm sure you don't want to hear really sad stories, but she's had so many different cases of people who were tortured or would literally still be there um, if they hadn't kept on, kept on. But she shared with me that so much of her joy was just that, not knowing exactly what the next step was, not knowing whether things would always work out. But in the mosaic of life, knowing that there would be ups and downs and sadness, but that we would keep going and be transformed. So many years ago, so this is many, many years ago, when I was in Vietnam in 1995, I remember meeting a man, a Vietnamese man, and he said to me, come, come and come to our safe house. And I said, okay. And it was, you know, it was those times where you would walk and you'd always have these like kind of annoying kids because they would like be pickpocketing you <laughs> and doing all these crazy things. And I remember he said, I'm gonna, meet, I'm gonna introduce you to some of these kids. 
But as I met these kids, I was amazed because he, this man had set up a safe house for kids who used to be on the streets. And he said, you know, I myself used to be a heroin addict and I was taken to prison in and out. But one day I was sitting and I saw this little boy who was taken away by the police for stealing an egg. And he said, and I saw him and that really affected me. He said, and I turned and I said to some of the other guys, hey, you know what? We should be in prison. <laughs> we, we do what we do, maybe. But these kids, they shouldn't be in prison. And they shouldn't, they shouldn't have to go through what we do. And he told me that at that point, he passed his hat. And he just gathered some money. And while they didn't have a lot of resources, they started very small with doing little things. They would um, give free haircuts to the kids on Sundays. They would find what small things they could. And normally, these kids are called like the, the trash pickers or the street pickers. Maybe some days they were stealing money or pickpocketing or what. But on that one Sunday, he said, they were kids. They were playing. They were doing the different things they could do, that, he could, that they could do. Eventually, he went on and he um, started an actual safe house, and he was able to get enough support and actually some funding so that it was a solid place where the kids could come together. I, I remember being amazed and saying to him, wow, what you've done is, is really amazing, and you have transformed the lives of so many of these kids. And he looked at me and he said, you know, maybe, I've had a part in transforming the lives of some of these kids. But I want you to know that as I myself began to work in the transformation of their lives, I myself was transformed. And that, to me, is the biggest gift. And I, I think back oftentimes to him, and I look at the really very many courageous people in our movement, and I think as a world community that so often we walk with questions and we don't always have the answers. And at the same time, we keep on, keep on, and we work for the transformation of the world. And in that process, we are also transformed. So I want to really thank all of you for for everything, for welcoming me back here today. It's really a beautiful homecoming um, for, for, this is such a special place. I don't, even energetically coming in, there, there's something that is so sacred and so beautiful, just even the space. It must be that the walls are soaked with prayer, <laughs> soaked with meditation, soaked with love. I sense so much that it's really the community that it's the building. It's not just the building, though. It's the people. It's a community. It's a place of love and hope and faith. And this is how we transform ourselves. We transform our world. Thank you for, for all that you do. We were recently, just last year, in last, last December, in Sri Lanka. And I spoke with a priest there. This is Father Noel. And I said, you know, how, how do you keep doing what you do? And he did a really funny thing. I don't know if, have any of you ever read or seen Father 
Nowen. He's a Catholic priest. So he, he gave me, he said, oh, you have to go to YouTube and look at Father Nowen. I knew he would see me again and he would ask me about it. So I looked and I, I looked at this YouTube that he found me for, Father Nowen. Basically, he said, you know what? You have to be free. And this is what freedom is. Freedom is not caring what other people think, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> Here's a priest in Sri Lanka. He says, freedom is not caring what other people think and doing the right thing because from his perspective, he was a child of God. He said, we are all children of God and we do the one thing that we can do. So he said, that's it. That's the secret. But as I sat and spoke with so many of the people who were coming to the center, it was Christmas, so they were coming together for celebrations. I met mothers, and I, I have two kids of my own, a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old, so I'm very sensitive to teenage kids who are picked up and tortured. I met so many mothers, and I wondered myself how they could bear the pain or bear the just unbearable pain of um, having one mother who told me about having her son picked up for stealing, picking fruit from the neighbor and how they hung him and, and broke his, just terrible things that happen on a daily basis. And then other mothers who said, I haven't seen my child. I don't know where they are. Sometimes they're disappeared. And I said, how do you, how do you, how do you bear life? And they said, we bear life because we come here and we are in community. And it's the community that allows us to walk with the questions and keep on, keep on. So I think that I hope I haven't given you really sad, depressing news this morning. I feel nothing but gratitude for all of you for in this journey of International Bridges of Justice, knowing that this is the place where I was ordained. This is the place where I first gathered the strength to have a public voice. And knowing that there are communities of faith everywhere in the world that are supporting each other and also sending out their love and strength to the world is something which gives everyone strength. And also, I know, will give our defenders great strength to know that you have also welcomed me here too, not only me personally, but me as the head of our defenders to embrace our message. Thank you.